The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello, Rebel Podcast listeners, and welcome to another episode, number 153. Nate and Chris are not here today, so you've got Dave, the technical producer, to introduce you to Pastor Nate's sermon from this past February the 9th. I think you'll find it instructive and stimulating. Hopefully, Nate and Chris will be back next week. Thanks for listening. I'm excited to bring you God's Word this morning. We are in... The book of Galatians, as you know, and uh, the offering plates as they pass by you, you can grab your Bibles um, and uh, and open them to Galatians chapter 2. The series that we launched into at the beginning of this year uh, is a series called Just Jesus. And uh, it's a study of the book of Galatians. And uh, the the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, right before he had to go to the Jerusalem Council, which is recorded in Acts chapter 15, where he was going to have to defend the gospel of free grace. He was going to have to go and convince a whole lot of Jews in Jerusalem, uh, along with the other apostles, that salvation, the way we are saved by God, comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and nothing else. Not circumcision, not uh, adherence to the Old Testament law, not um, being an ethnic Jew who adhered to the, uh, the kosher dietary laws, but that grace comes by grace, or salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we say just Jesus, what we mean is that salvation comes because of his completed work. And that salvation, as we've been looking, as we've been digging into the text here, comes as something that actually happens to us, not something that we strive for. That God's salvation, his saving us, his putting us in right standing with God, his putting us in relationship with our creator, is all free grace. And uh, as Paul would later say in the book of Ephesians, uh, it's not a result of works that no one can boast, but it's the free gift of God. So that's what we're looking at, and uh, we're looking at uh, Galatians in chapter 2, verses 7 to 10 this coming week. What we've seen so far is that Paul has had to first, as he's writing to the Galatians, to uh, help uphold the gospel of free grace, he has to remind them of his own authority as an apostle. The fact that Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus Uh, We learned through the um, kind of the narrative of Paul telling his testimony there that after he was saved, and that is recorded for us in Acts chapter 9, Paul, Saul's conversion story, 
Um, after that, that Saul actually fled into the wilderness of Arabia, studied the Old Testament scriptures, and as the Spirit was with him, and as he studied those scriptures, he came to an understanding of the gospel that he would go on to preach. And we've been looking at that, and we've been looking at the details of the gospel, the theology or the doctrine that he's embedded into his very testimony. Right, So in verse 15 of chapter 1, he said, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, Paul is teaching us about the gospel even while he's sharing this story, even while he's sharing his testimony. So that's what we've been looking at. The, the, the book of Galatians was primary to the reformers, primary to men like Martin Luther and John Calvin who came to understand that the gospel comes that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And we're looking at all that in the book of Galatians. So before we jump into today's text, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you sent revelation of yourself by both the living word, Christ, the object, the winner of our salvation, as well as your written word, your revelation to us. And in your word, in Psalm 132, you elevate above all things your name and your word. And so as we take a look at your word this morning, may it speak to us as your special revelation to us. I pray that you would help me to articulate well everything that you've laid on my heart to say. I pray that the Spirit would be here empowering the words that I speak, um, also helping us to hear and to apply them to our lives. And I pray that you would stop my lips from saying anything that's not true of you or true of your word this morning. I pray that you'd be glorified from this pulpit and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today's sermon is called The True Gospel Calling. We are in Galatians chapter 2, and we're looking at just a few verses, verses 7 to 10. So uh, verse 7 starts with, on the contrary. So just to give you a little bit of context, Paul has just told us about the meeting that he had with the other apostles in Jerusalem. And he says in verse 6 that, Um, those apostles, that's Peter, James, and John, who are in Jerusalem, added nothing to him, which simply means they added nothing to his gospel. Paul was preaching the same gospel that Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles were preaching in their ministry to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. And so Paul uh, was verified in his gospel ministry by the Jerusalem apostles. And right after he says that, he says in verse 7, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, uh, the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who had seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So we're going to focus on these verses here, and there's a few things that I want us to uh, to kind of pick apart. And uh, 
you know, I, I love God's word, and I hope you love God's word as well. God's word is living and active, and uh, as deep as you want to dig into it, there are truths there for us to unearth, and we will spend eternity um, learning and being fascinated by and being enthralled by uh, the, the truths of God's word. And, uh, and so uh, these verses, I, I, I think I saw something as I was studying them this week that I think is worth us reflecting on. I want to start by quoting somebody who um, you've never heard quoted from this pulpit before, uh, a guy named Steve Jobs. <laughs> it's not an apostle for anybody who's wondering, but... So Steve Jobs, um, he said, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. This is one of the most brilliant men uh, in terms of business. I mean, this is the guy who, who really conceived of Apple. And um, I, I would just, by show of hands, I mean, you could show me your, your cell phone right now. You're living off of, uh, off of his uh, ingenuity in a lot of ways. Um, I, I'm going to read another one to you. Again, this is hopefully the first and last time I ever quote this person from the pulpit as well. But this is your, your Super Bowl halftime queen, Jennifer Lopez. And she was quoted to say, your time is limited. And all I can tell you, so it starts it off with the same thing that Steve Jobs says, your time is limited. Your time is limited. Don't waste it thinking about what's going to make other people happy or what other people think will make you happy. Listen to your heart, follow your heart, and do what makes you happy because life is too short. We live in a culture where this is the mantra of our culture. Follow your heart. Do what's best for you. Find yourself. You do you, right? This is the culture that we live in where some of the most influential people who are preaching to the masses are saying, just follow your heart. Look deep inside yourself. Listen to it. Remember what Steve Jobs said here. He says, don't let other people's noise drown out your own inner voice. Or he says, don't be trapped by dogma, which is the results of other people's thinking. And what I want to highlight today is I think that in a lot of ways we have, um, as a church, been caught up in sort of the false gospel of self-help. The book of Galatians is all about the true gospel and separating it from the, the distortions of the gospel that were endangering the, the church in Galatia. And so Paul writes this. And I think one of the things it, as a church that we are in um, danger of listening to is all of the self-help gurus who don't know God's word, don't like God's word. In fact, the, the Bible described them as enemies of God who are telling us to follow our hearts. That sounds like a good thing, and the way culture would say it makes it sound like a good thing. Following your heart and listening to your own inner voice and don't, don't let other people keep you down sounds good, but it's actually contrary to what the gospel says. When Steve Jobs says, don't be trapped by dogma, which is the living with the results of other people's thinking, remember that the apostles were called the foundation of the church, that we are living out a faith that has been passed down to us. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to his 
uh, the one who was mentoring, he was mentoring Timothy in his last letter ever written. He writes to Timothy. We have the words recorded for us in, in uh, 2 Timothy where he says, as for you, maintain what you've learned and what you've received from me. Jude, in the one book of the Bible that he writes, he says um, that he wants to contend for the gospel that was once and for all delivered to the saints. We are Christians, which means we are brought into, we are baptized into a body that has a tradition of, being, of having its, re, uh, its theology, its belief system passed down to us. And yet we live in a culture that wants to, what's, what's the, the slang term all the kids are saying now? Okay, boomer, right? You know that phrase? Okay, I'm seeing a lot of blank faces. <laughs> sort of an expression talking to baby boomers when, a, when, it, when an older person says something that's out of touch, right? They would say, okay, boomer. And so I, I say that, and, and if you've never heard that, you can go and Google, you'll find all kinds of great memes, keep you laughing for days. But this is a phrase, why? Because we have what C.S. Lewis described as chronological snobbery. We tend to believe that our generation is the most important generation that's ever lived. The knowledge that we have now is the pinnacle of human knowledge and that everything that's happening right now is more important than anything that has come prior. We don't think that old, uh, I was about to say old people, I apologize for that, that almost uh, Freudian slip. But those who have passed down, those who have been experienced, those who have given us the things that have been entrusted to us, um, there's in the culture a growing disrespect and disdain for anything handed down because we want to carve our own way, because we want to follow our heart, because we want to build it ourselves. I think that actually goes contrary to the gospel. And so here's what uh, I think the big idea of these verses are, and then I'll go into the weeds a little bit and show you where I'm getting that from, and we'll talk about um, what we are called to do as Christians. So here's the big idea. The true gospel calls believers out of self-centered living and into kingdom purposes. The true gospel calls believers out of self-centered living and into kingdom purposes. So in a culture that tells you to follow your heart, in a culture that says do what's best for you, in a culture that says nobody can tell you how to live your life, we want to uphold the gospel that calls people out of that self-centered paradigm and into a paradigm that understands that we are a small part of something much bigger than any one of us. In fact, I, I think one of the reasons, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the influential gurus of our age are saying, just follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart, and we have far more depression, despondency, and despair in our, our culture than we seem to ever have had. It's because when we follow our heart and the Bible tells us that the heart of man is deceptively wicked, who can know it, the deeper we look into our heart, the deeper we see our own sin and our own unworthiness, what we're meant to do is not look inside, but look outside of ourselves and look to, this is what David said in the Psalms, where does my help come, where does my help come from? Not from deep within myself, not with self-actualization, not with following my heart, but my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so this is contrary to what we're being bombarded with by the, um, by the world. The true gospel calls believers out of self-centered living and into kingdom purposes. First, let me show you this in the text, and then we'll uh, apply some general application. I hope today's sermon will be of help to you. So first of all, the first um, point from the text that I want to make that 
hangs off of that big idea is this, that God will radically change the direction and purpose of an individual life for his glory and for their joy. God will radically change the direction and the purpose of an individual life for his glory and for their joy. So in the text that we're looking at here, Paul has just finished talking about his testimony. Let me remind you of what we looked at a few weeks ago when he says in chapter 1, verse 12, I did not receive it, being the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Christ Jesus. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age and among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned to Damascus. And we've said when he went away to Arabia, when we were looking at that text, he went away to Arabia to study the scriptures and get solidified in what he believed. And then uh, you can jump down to verse 23 there where he was accepted by the, uh, the other Christians and it said, they were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. That's the context that we get the rest of this story that we're looking at today in. Paul recognizing that he was persecuting the church, he was an enemy of the church, he was zealous for the traditions of his fathers, he was advancing in Judaism, and the only explanation for a radically transformed life is an encounter with the living God. And so, his life was radically changed, and the direction and the purposes of his life were drastically changed. And when I say that um, God will radically change the direction and purpose of an individual life, I'm talking about when he saves us. This is what we've been talking about for weeks, that when God saves us, he gives us newness of life. This is, it's true what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that those of us who are in Christ are a new creation. And so we're seeing the newness of life here in Paul. His life has been radically changed for God's glory. He gives all the glory to God and for their joy. Remember that this is the same apostle who later on would say, I counted all joy, brothers. Or he would say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the same man who said, no matter my circumstances, after he gives a long list of all the suffering he's done, I've learned how to be content. He's learned how to be joyful. Why? Because though he was following his own heart, though he was following the, the things that he himself was zealous for, when God changed him, he found joy and purpose in the radical redirection of his life. You can read about the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9. We don't have the time to go there today. We've been talking about it a lot over the last couple of weeks. But God will radically change the direction and purpose of an individual life for his glory, for God's glory, and for their joy. So keep that in mind. We're going to come back to these three ideas. But here's the second point that I want to hang off our big idea. Paul and Peter had different specific callings that did not compete or cause any disunity. So um, for, uh, for anybody who might be visiting today or, or any of you who didn't grow up in the church, calling is one of our favorite Christianese words around here. We use it all the time. And all that means is your purpose in life. It means your, um, what you're meant to do, what God is calling you, what God is requiring you to do. And if you look at today's text, you see that what he says 
is uh, in verse 7. On the contrary, when he saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, uh, skip past the parentheses. James, Cephas, and John seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Peter, James, and John felt a specific calling from God to preach the gospel to the Jews. They felt a specific call of God to stay in Jerusalem and preach and teach to the Jews helping their own people understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and that he had come and delivered all the promises of God since the Garden of Eden. And that's what they felt called to do. Paul didn't feel that same specific calling. Paul felt called to get outside of Jerusalem, to get his walking shoes on and to go far uh, beyond and to begin to preach the gospel to the Gentile nations. Now, what's so interesting about this is that I think sometimes in the church today, we have people who are uniquely gifted, people who are uniquely wired for different aspects of church ministry, right? You have some people who are gifted musicians, you have some people who are gifted teachers, you have some people who are gifted evangelists, and I think sometimes what you see is you see churches that um, are... Have a, have a specific natural bent to a particular ministry, and they uphold that ministry as if that's more important than what other churches are doing, right? I think one of the things that I'm, I was so amazed by here is here's two people who are passionate about different mission fields, right? Ministering to the Jews is very different than ministering to the Gentiles. They have different, um, they have different responses, Right? We talked early on about some of the false gospels that have infiltrated the church in our day. Two of those gospels we talked about were legalism and antinomianism. Antinomianism just means lawless. So there's the legalist gospel and the lawless gospel. Both aspects of the go- uh, distortions of the gospel that have infiltrated the church. But one says, well, you can't preach grace too radically. Otherwise, people start living terrible lives. And the other side says... Uh, hold on a sec, hold on a sec. The second you start talking about rules or regulations or what you need to do, you're being legalistic. No, no, it's free grace, right? You can fall off the road on either side of the ditch there. And I think um, the recognition that Paul and Peter had very different callings, the Jews would be very prone to legalism. They've lived in a paradigm where their adherence to the law, they felt like, was meriting their favor before God. Whereas the Gentiles, who are part of the Roman Roman culture, which was very self-centered, very, um, we'll, we'll say that the sexual revolution had nothing on ancient Rome. Let's say that. And so you had very different callings, very different atmospheres, very different mission fields, and yet Paul and Peter recognized you're called to one, I'm called to the other, and it didn't cause disunity between them. One of them didn't say, well, you can't neglect these people. You can't neglect this mission field. Peter could have come to, to Paul and said, well, you yourself are a Jew. Aren't you passionate for your own people? Sometimes we see this. We see this through churches. We see this through missionaries. We see this through parachurch ministries where there's sometimes competition. Like if you know, uh, you'd have certain ministries that feel as though overseas missions. If you're not involved in overseas missions, it's done and it's over. You have a whole lot of people who are passionate about local missions. Guess what? The church is called to both. And one person's passion in an area that you're not passionate about should not cause disunity between the two of you. 
So Paul and Peter had different specific callings uh, that did not compete or cause disunity. We'll come back to that because we're going to come back to all three of these things, but one more piece in the text itself before we move on. Number three, before God gives us a specific call on our lives, we must be faithful to the general call to Christian obedience. Notice that though they separated, Peter to the circumcised, Paul to the uncircumcised, notice what he did say. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So they separate in terms of where their ministry um, calling is specifically, but the, uh, Peter, James, and John felt the need to remind Peter, remind Paul, I'm getting names confused here, to remind Paul that there is a general calling. And his call to the Gentiles, and, now, and this is important because what was going on historically right now was that the Jews were under persecution by Rome and were an occupied people being taxed heavily by Rome. And so the Jewish population in most of uh, the places where the apostles would be ministering was a, a lower socioeconomic status than those who were part of the Roman Empire as a general statement, but it's a general truth. So when they're saying, hey, you're, you're called to go to the Gentiles, we're called to go to the, the Jews, but don't forget to minister to the poor. You might have a specific calling to the Gentiles, but if there's a need among the Jews, if there's a need among anyone, as Christians, we are called to give to the poor. We are called to take care of the poor. We are called to take care of the orphan and the widow, as James would go on to write in his, in his epistle uh, in James 1.27. So there's a specific call, and that we're called to different things, but there's also this general call, and Paul was being reminded of that at the end. So I want to kind of put some of these things together, and I want to, so remember, this is the big idea here. The true gospel calls believers out of self-centered living and into kingdom purposes. So we're going to use this, um, this term calling quite a bit today, and I think that there are three general ways that God calls us as Christians, and I think it's important for us. One, each one corresponds with one of the points that we pulled out of the text. So here are, I think, the three callings of the Christian experience. Number one, we're called from death to life. This is, this is salvation. This is God saving us. Um, by, the Bible calls it a calling in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So in that moment, Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's talking about the call of salvation, when God calls us to be his own, when God does the work of salvation in each and every one of our hearts. So when he calls us from death to life. That's the first of the Christian's experience of calling. It's what brings us into the brotherhood. It's what brings us into the church family. It's what brings us into the body, baptized into the body. The call from death to life. The second calling is the call to live like a new creation. And I would say this is the general Christian calling. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. This is the call for each and every one of us to live like the new creation. Some of the language that Paul uses in Colossians and in Ephesians is put on the new man, right? Become the person that God has declared you to be. Paul says, put on the new man. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, it's God's will for you. What's God's will for your life? What's his call on your life? That you would be sanctified, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 10. So there's this general call to all of us to become more like Jesus. This general call includes all kinds of things. It includes giving to the poor. It includes going to church. It includes um, evangelism. We're all called to some of these general things. The third kind of calling is called to a particular position of service in God's purposes. The call to, be, to a particular position of service in God's purposes. So if the second one is, God, is the general Christian calling, this is the specific calling. Um, many of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but there's the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 12 goes on to say, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So the analogy that Paul gives us in the book of Corinthians is that of a body. There are ears, there's a nose, there's a mouth, there are kneecaps, there are, you know, the rough skin on your elbows, and everybody in the church is a different part of the body meant to function for a different, a different specific purpose. So all Christians have these three callings. There is a call from death to life. There's a general call that we're all called to become more like Jesus and commands that apply to all of us. And then there is this, what is my specific calling? What is my part in the body? So I want to I go on to some application. This is where we're going to camp for uh, the majority of the time today. And I hope this sermon is very applicational for you in that sense. So again, remember, the true gospel calls believers out of self-centered living and into kingdom purposes. When we start to think about what our calling is, both the general call, the commands that are on us as Christians, and the specific calling that God has for us to do as members of the body, then immediately, as soon as we start thinking that way, there's a paradigm shift that has to happen in our minds. We have to um, kind of uh, set aside the rhetoric of the culture that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon to just follow your heart, do what's best for you, do what makes you happy. Because as Christians, there are things that we are commanded to do and there are specific things that we are called to do. Now, let, let, me, let me just tease that out a little bit for you. There are things that we are commanded and called to do that are difficult, right? Jesus told us that we will suffer, that people won't like us because they didn't like him, so they're not going to like us. And there are things uh, in this world you will have trouble, Jesus says. There are all kinds of things in the New Testament that would remind us that as Christians, it's not going to be easy for us in this life. And so the question is, well, it seems like you're putting two things in front of me, Nate. One of them is follow your heart, do what makes you happy, sounds really, really great. 
And then the other one is give up your life, take up your cross, follow Jesus, and it's going to be hard. And if I have to choose between those two things, I'd like to think I'm going to choose this one, but let's be honest, most of us are going to choose this one here. But there's a reality to the Christian life that I think is um, the enjoyment of the Christian life needs to be experienced in order to be enjoyed. There's, um, I, I've used this analogy before, and uh, it doesn't apply to me, but I, I, I've experienced it once or twice in my life, where if you, um, people who run, right, or people who work out, you know, healthy people, um, they, when they do things like that, it's said that there's an enjoyment to it. And I don't, I don't enjoy working out. I, don't, I certainly don't enjoy running. But there was a time in my life when I, when I did enjoy such things. And I remember somebody once telling me, you go to the gym, you know, five out of the next 14, or uh, sorry, five out, of the ne- uh, five out of seven days for the next four weeks, and I promise you by the end of it, you'll enjoy it. I was like, no way, no way. So I did, and there was a time in my life when I was really, I was, I was into the gym, I liked going and all that kind of stuff, and uh, oh, oh the, the height from which you've fallen. But I only use that as an analogy, as a springboard to say, I remember when I got saved, and I found it very, very difficult to open the Bible, to read God's Word, to enjoy the things that I was commanded to do. Uh, I, I went to a church that I didn't necessarily find really exciting every Sunday, uh, we sang songs I didn't necessarily love every Sunday. And I know that's none of your experience because you all come here. But there is <laughs> opening your Bible before you get started. I like sleeping. I like sleeping in. I love hitting that snooze button four or five times. I know people have told me you hit the snooze button a bunch of times. It's like, you, you know, you're not getting good sleep there. I still love it. I still love it. I don't get to do it as much now with kids. But there are these things in our Christian experiences. And what I've found, being a pastor now for a number of years, is that most Christians never get past that four-week stretch. Right? That four-week stretch of, of saying, just, just trust me, Nate, go to the gym, five out of seven days, four weeks in a row, and by the end of it, you'll like the gym. I'm telling you that if the Spirit of God lives in you, there's something that comes alive when you open up God's Word. There's something in you that comes alive when you spend time praying to Him, talking to Him, worshiping. But most Christians legitimately get saved, legitimately have a conversion experience, legitimately love God, but never get over that hump. And so it's always a struggle for them. And they'll do it one or two days every you know, week or every, every couple of weeks or a couple times a month. And they still come to church, mostly out of guilt and obligation. And they like the community and all that kind of stuff, but it never gets past the point where it's enjoyable to them. I have watched people live that way their entire Christian lives because they've just never gotten over the hump. But that's to um, not believe what the Scripture says. You know, in, in um, Romans chapter 8, and I'm getting a little uh, off on a tangent here, but in Romans chapter 8, um, it talks about um, the Spirit of God living in our spirits, crying out, Abba, Father. That God has put His Spirit inside of us to enjoy the things that He's called us to do. And, th- and I'm just talking about general uh, Christian duties, re- regular spiritual disciplines. You were wired to enjoy these things. Um, if you've never, if you've never, if, 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 I'm, if I'm saying this to you and it's piquing your interest, I would, I would encourage you to read a book called Desiring God. It's by a guy named John Piper. 
And uh, and if you want, uh, and if and if you really, if you if you really are are uh, not much of a reader, then just start with a small book called "Don't Waste Your Life" by John Piper. Same themes in it, and he he basically says that we were created not just to glorify God, but we are designed, we are created to enjoy or to glorify God by enjoying God. That that our pursuit for God's glory. And our pursuit for joy is actually one pursuit. See, many of us as Christians, we think that God saves us and he takes away all of our fun and gives us all these responsibilities and life is really hard and we just have to wait for the rewards on the other side. But Piper was one of the guys who helped me understand that my desire to glorify God as a Christian and my desire for joy in my life were actually one pursuit. And because God put his spirit inside of me, it's not, it's not anything, um, uh, it's not some magic spell, it's not some, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, formula that you, you unlock here. It's just that God has put his spirit inside you and he's, uh, if you look at uh, Ezekiel 36, which is the promise of, uh, of God's uh, spirit saving us, it says, I will put my spirit within them and cause them to walk in my ways. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God's spirit living inside of us. And so uh, the true gospel calls us out of self-centered living and into kingdom purposes. And what we'll find is as we live out those kingdom purposes, we actually enjoy them more than the self-centered living that has brought so many of us to despair, despondency, and depression. So here's some application. Number one, first point of application, first be thoroughly changed by immersion in the gospel. The place to start here is the gospel. And, and what I mean, I mean that for two different people. First of all, the, the realities of, of the, the enjoyment of the Christian life will never be found if God's spirit is not in our spirit. And so the way this starts is through accepting the gospel. We've been talking about it for uh, this entire series, but just by way of reminder, when when we talk about the, the true gospel, what we mean is that Jesus died on the cross in our place as our substitute, took our penalty away because he was in our place, and then gives us his perfect obedience. So God created the world with a standard. None of us can adhere to that standard. None of us can live up to that standard. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? This is the story of of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve couldn't obey the one command, right? The one command. We might say, well, God has so many rules. He gave Adam and Eve one, a world of yes with one no. They couldn't follow that. Why? Because we are addicted to self-centered living, We want what we want when we want it. And so God knew that we could never earn salvation, that we would never be righteous enough to stand before him, that we would never live up to the standards uh, that he's created with the world that he's made. And so he sent Jesus, dies in our place, which takes away the punishment for not adhering to God's standards, not living for the creator that created us, but then also 
gives us the righteousness of Jesus? Why is it so important that Jesus lived a perfect life? Why is it so important that Jesus was perfectly righteous, that he adhered to the Old Testament law? Why is all of that important? Because his obedience, which is God's standard, God's law is his standard, a reflection of his character, that standard was met. It was not met by us, but it was met by somebody whose obedience is given to us. And that's the exchange that happens on the cross. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus took our place, and Jesus gave us his obedience. His obedience was accepted by the Father, and it's imputed, it's given, it's credited to our account. That's the heart of the gospel. And so, what is our response? What is the gospel calling? The gospel calling is, believe on it and call on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's what the the Bible says. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It starts with the recognition that we are in need of somebody to die in our place, and we are in need of perfect righteousness to stand before our Creator, and then the recognition that Jesus did it, and the cry out to God, make that apply to me. And so for those of us who have not called out to God, who have not recognized our need for a Savior, that's where it begins. But I want, I want to challenge us who have been there, who have experienced salvation, who have embraced the gospel. I want to challenge us this morning because you are going to get really sick. Hopefully you don't get really sick, but there is a danger that you might get really sick of hearing the gospel because guess what? We're going to be in Galatians until at least September, which means you're going to hear this an awful lot. But Paul said, when he's talking to the Philippian elders in the book of Acts, he says, I was satisfied to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. There is a depth and there is a beauty to the gospel, to understanding the gospel, that we will never get past. For those of us who have who've experienced life with God, for those of us who have the Spirit of God in our hearts, when we think about the gospel, it ought to excite us. It ought to create in us affections for the God who saved us, thankfulness, gratitude, all of those things, because that's amazing. It, it, like, you think about any other relationship that you have. Think about some of the more difficult relationships you have. I'll just, I'll just throw it out there. Maybe, you know, family. I'll just, you know, they're, they're people who, you know, they're people who are in your life and they're there in your life and therefore you got to make it work with them. And you, they know you and you know them better than anyone else, right? And who knows how, to, anybody with a sibling, who knows how to push your buttons better than anyone else on the planet? Your siblings, right? And it's because they know you better than anybody else. And so, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. Get off, off on that. But when you, when you think about um, all of the, the ways in which, um, no, really, where was I going with that? What was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah, the gospel. Whew. Yeah, getting old, is that what somebody said? Yeah, yeah. And so the, the, people who, um, the people who know us the best and can push our buttons the best, God saved us and knows us absolutely thoroughly. And think about the difficulty in our relationships with other people who we know best, who can push our buttons and, and all those things. Think about somebody who owed us nothing, right? Think, think, about, think about how difficult it can be with, with friends and family members and that sort of reconciliation. Think about how hard that can be. Think about our relationship with God prior to him saving us. 
The Bible, the Bible uses, you know, we have, we have all these nice churchy terms to make it seem less offensive to people, seekers and all that kind of stuff. You know, somebody who's really looking. You know, the Bible has different sorts of words. Enemies of God, rebels of God, haters of God, children of Satan, those who love darkness instead of light, right? Um, uh, Genesis chapter six says that uh, the, the thoughts of man's heart is only evil all the time, right? does not paint a good picture of man. And this is us who have rebelled against our creator, who have been given this wonderful world of yeses with a few noes and the recognition that we are living under a creator. And what do we do? Romans 1 tells us what we do. We look at this beautiful world that God created for us and we say, not created, not designed, no creator. I'm accountable to no one. I'm gonna follow my heart. Right? You, anybody who's a parent, you recognize the frustration with an ungrateful child, right? And, and I, think, I think one of the reasons why God created children so frustratingly ungrateful at such a young age is to, to, to help us understand what he, if he were like us, would feel. And yet that God who had every reason to just snap his fingers and destroy the world, snap his fingers and stop sustaining our life, instead sent his son to die for the rebels who hated him. It's amazing when we think about the depth of the gospel and when we think about those things, our hearts are woken up to it. And so I would say to those of you who, who know the gospel and you think that, okay, the gospel, got it, that's the milk and cookies, where's the steak dinner? No, 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 the gospel is the steak. The gospel is the thing that we never move on from as Christians. It's the thing we keep going back to. When you are in the middle of despair, when you're going through something difficult, when um, your marriage is breaking down, when your kids are wayward, what do you go back to? You go back to the gospel, the gospel that has saved you. Why do you do that with all of those things? Well, because um, difficult relationships that we don't believe can ever be reconciled, recognize that there was no possible way for us to be reconciled to God if God had not done what only God can do and make a way where there is no way. And so we hold out hope for reconciliation in our other relationships because God works miracles all the time. He does it with every salvation. Why do we go back to the gospel when we're thinking about wayward children? Because, because we look at some of the kids um, and the, the loved ones that we have who have gone astray and we think to myself, they are so far from God's grace. They will never come back. Well, guess what? We were rebels, we were enemies of God, and all God did was shine gospel light into our hearts, and it's no different for him to save somebody that we think is seeking and somebody who we think is super far away from God. There are only two categories of people in the entire world, those who are in Christ and those who are in Adam, and God saves people who are in Adam all the time. So we always go back to the gospel. It's the heart, it's the soul of our faith. That's the first call. Secondly, Show yourself faithful to the general Christian calling. So this is, remember, this is your application. So first, be thoroughly changed by immersion in the gospel. That means your, your initial encounter with God as well as subsequent encounters with God. Be a gospel person. The second thing is then show yourself faithful to the general Christian calling. This is your second calling, right? Called to live like a new creation, our notes said. Of course, this means obedience sanctification, getting closer to God, but that's all nebulous stuff. I mean, I mean, this talks about going to church, right? Hebrews 10, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Spend time in prayer, read your Bible, fight the sin that's in your life, be accountable to people, 
like very, very specific callings. You know what else is normative in the Christian calling? Get married, have children, work hard. Those are, those are normative things. And I recognize that we live in a broken world and, and there are exceptions to those rules because people suffer through it in a sinful world. I understand that. But we recognize that there is a general Christian calling that as to the best of our ability, God is calling us to be faithful. God is calling us to do the normative things in Scripture. It's interesting because when, uh, especially when I was in youth ministry and I thought it would change as I got into quote-unquote adult ministry, uh, but it's not. People are always asking, well, what's God's call on my life? What should I be doing? What is my calling? What is my purpose? What should I, like, how, how do I get satisfied? How do, I, how do I find fulfillment? How do I feel like I'm doing the things that God is, is wanting me and has wired me to do? How do I do that? And I always come back to this first, this general calling. Do you ever, you ever notice that, what is the thing that we remember David the most for? Slaying, slaying Goliath, Right? But isn't it interesting that before he, he kind of went public and had his big public victory where he defeated the giant, he had his private victories where he faithfully took care of the, shepherd, or the sheep and took out the bear and the lion? You remember that? And, and in fact, it was, it was those private victories when God came through and gave him the strength to overcome the bear and the lion that gave him confidence that God would... He, he looked at Goliath and said, this Goliath is no different because he had experienced God's grace in the general calling of just being a faithful shepherd. And so too, as Christians, sometimes we try to jump too far ahead. What's my calling? What does God want me to do with my life? What's the specific ministry God has me in? What is this? What is that? Should I be a missionary? Should I do? All those things are great questions, but you know where it starts? Regular, everyday obedience. That's where it starts. And so many of us, we long for significance, we long for a, a, a position that is of some value that we can look at and say, that's, my, that's the little corner of the kingdom that I've carved out and done uh, by my own hands. And you know what? It is amazing that God uh, includes us in partnership in his, in his purposes and plans on the earth. It's amazing. But before he ever gives us the, 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 the public victories, he calls us to private obedience. So secondly, show yourself faithful to the general Christian calling. This also includes, by the way, pursuing joy and the joy of the Lord. I won't get into that. I don't have the time, but read Desiring God. It's a great book. Last application point. Finally, in community and in the word, discern your unique calling to the church and do it. There's, there's another great book that I'll recommend to you. I think it's on your Digging Deeper on the backside of your, the notes you're taking. It's called Just Do It. Or, no, sorry, Just Do That's the, That's probably a Nike book. Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. That was a really helpful book for me, right? So here I am. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm in university trying to figure out what God's call is on my life. And I read this book called Just Do Something. I'm asking God, what should I do? And I read this book, Just Do Something. And essentially what it said is get busy with regular everyday obedience. Put one foot in front of the other and before you, f- you know it, you'll be in your calling, right? What does, what does it look like to get from A to B? If B is your calling and A is where you started off, it looks like one foot in front of the other everyday faithful obedience. And if you do that while you're in the word and you do that while you're in community, you will find where God wants you. You will find out whether or not you are an ear or a nose or a tongue or a kneecap or whatever the case is in the body. And here's, here's what I want to, I really want to encourage you in. First Peter chapter 4 
Starting in verse 8, it says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right? So this is talking about being in community. Verse 10, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 10. So this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. For those of you taking notes, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God's grace, right, his, his disposition towards us, the strength that we need for the day, the, 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 the very life of God as he distributes it to us is distributed by grace. And what this verse is saying is that each one of us have been given unique things, right? It calls them gifts here. This is your time. This is your talent. This is your treasure. This is everything that God has given to you. And he says, use it, use it to serve, Use it to serve one another as distributors of God's grace in its various forms. That means that there is grace from God for you that you don't receive directly from God. You receive from one another. Which means that if I withhold the gifts that God has given to me, then somebody in my life, somebody in my church family doesn't receive grace from God that they ought to. Right? Listen to that verse. Each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. God has made you a steward of his grace, and part of the grace that he dispenses to his people is given to individuals with their gift, with their calling, to serve one another. And so part of the grace I receive from God doesn't come through my daily reading, doesn't come through my prayer time, but comes through you doing your part in this church. You doing your part in the kingdom of God. And for all of us who are sitting on our hands, for all of us who are too busy, for all of us who think we're too young, too old, not smart enough, too smart, whatever the case may be, who are not using their gifts, you are withholding God's grace from the church family. And that's, big, that's a big deal. Because as we talked about today with the announcement that Mike made and the places that we're going and the... the, the um, the impact we hope to be on this community and in future communities as we think about the future, as we think about multiplication, we need God's grace because without it, we will fail. And if part of the grace we receive from, from God is distributed through the serving and the giving of the gifts of each individual, we need everybody going. We don't want to be hobbling to the finish line because one of the feet in our congregation isn't being afoot right? That's what these things mean. So we all receive three callings as Christians. The general, or the, the first call, the gospel call from life to death. We're called the Christian obedience. And then as we are faithful in those small things, God reveals for us a specific will, a specific way that he wants to use us to expand his kingdom through a local body. And we're called one, two, three, work our way through those things to be faithful to the call of God on our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we just 
meditated on just a couple of verses today, we thank you once again for how rich your word is. Lord, we do pray for every person in this congregation that wherever we are in the spectrum of of all that we talked about today, for those who need your saving grace, I pray that you would shine gospel light into their hearts right now. For those of us who need to be reawakened to the realities and the depth and the beauty of the gospel, Lord, I pray that your spirit would do a work right now. For those of us who are struggling with everyday obedience, and that is to some degree all of us, I pray that you would give us grace, and Lord, that you would help us to dig into this community. Lord, if it, if it is through the community that we are receiving the grace we need for everyday living, Lord, help us. If we aren't in, our words, in your word, help us to find peers that we can be in your word with. Join a small group, join a Bible study, get involved in some way. And Lord, for those of us who feel as though we're, we're trying to be obedient, we're trying to be faithful, we're part of this community, and, and we just need you to discern, help us to discern our place in the body, I pray that you'd make that clear to us as we dig deep into your word and dig deep into community. May every part of this body be operating as you intended it to be so that we can walk in the work that you've preordained for us to walk in. May we be a blessing to this community, not because of all that we are, but because of all that you are and for your desire to work through flawed people like us to save many, many more. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.